Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shemaine podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So... <laughs> I didn't really know how to start this episode because, to be honest, I didn't even think that I was going to do it this week. Sorry, I've not really been that like active on Twitter. Obviously, normally I'd put up a hint for uh, this week's episode, but I didn't do that. Um, I haven't had the best couple of weeks since my last episode. Um, I don't mean to depress you guys. Even though a lot of the stuff we tend to talk about on the show is rather depressing because being a woman in history, like, really sucks. But um, in the last two weeks, I lost two of my family members. And it's weird for me because no one, like, that I've known, like, really personally has ever died. And it's it was just weird to uh, have two people die in the same week and so close to finals. I mean, I was already stressed with finals and getting all my stuff done, but I unfortunately lost two of my family members. Um, as you guys know, uh, my grandma, um, her partner, uh, Mary lost her dad. And, you know, I was, I've, I've been expecting it for years. I mean, the man was 95, um, and had like four bouts of cancer. Like he had cancer, he's consistently had cancer since I was 10. So it, it wasn't that big of a shock, but you know, when you have someone that lives to 95 that you've known your whole life, it's just like, the concept of them like actually dying when you've been expecting them to die for years is it's bonkers. And uh, the second death that I unfortunately experienced was my my great aunt Pat, who is who's very dear to my heart and um, I think really got me interested in like painting and nature. Like I'm I'm not a good painter and I never probably never will be, but um, she always got me like really interested in like painting and her, her death came as a, as a shock to me. Cause I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this already on this podcast. Uh, but when I was driving here this summer to, uh, move in to my dorm, our trailer broke down and we had to stay at her house for like two nights while my parents got the uh, tire fix. So um, having like just seen her and then like to get the random news out of nowhere that she died was just like really, really crazy to me. And it was uh, very upsetting to me. All right. I'm, I'm sorry for depressing you guys. Let's actually talk about happy things. Um, because I've been so depressed, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of impulsive shopping when I'm depressed, which necessarily is is not helpful for me, but you know, I'd, <laughs> it, it's helpful in my brain. Maybe it's not healthy, but I do. Um, I did a secret Santa with my friends this year and I got a Indigo gift card. So I just came back from uh, shopping and getting a lot of books. I bought all from the bargain section. So that makes me feel like a little better about the four books that I bought, but like, it's, it's still pretty great. Like I'll have to uh, post them on Twitter later because they're all history books. So uh, totally relevant. I also got a smoothie. It's very good. <laughs> okay. Enough about me. I'm rambling. All right. Today we are talking about Hatchet's suit. Now you may know her. You may not. Um, I had heard of her 
previous to doing research on her, but like I'd never done like a deep dive into her life. Like you, you always like hear about her in Egyptian history courses and she's like, she's a little skipped over. It was just like, they had a woman pharaoh. Okay, moving on. (laughs) But she was an absolute powerhouse of the ancient world. She was Egypt's, most likely Egypt's first independent female pharaoh. And um, I'm really excited to talk about her. Let's get into it, guys. Okay, so Hatshepsut was born to the pharaoh Thutmose I and his great royal wife, Queen Amos, probably in 1507 BC, but we're not really sure about the date. That's just kind of like a dartboard guess on when she was born. Um, and guessing is something we're going to be doing a lot in this episode because it's a lot of Hatshepsut's life is like, she might have done this. But we're not sure, and we'll, we'll talk about why that is. So, yeah, hold on to your Egyptian headdresses, folks, because it's about to go crazy. Now, if you have listened to this show for a while, you may know that I don't do a lot of ancient women, though I'd like to do more. Um, before this episode, the oldest uh, ancient woman that I've ever done was uh, Roxana of Bactria, who was the wife of Alexander the Great. However, uh, now the honor of... Uh, most ancient woman that I've done on this podcast now goes to Hapshetsut because Hapshetsut was born a little over 1,000 years before Roxana. So go Hapshetsut. Sorry, Roxana. <laughs> now, since we don't know her birthday, let's discuss her name because I think it's pretty interesting to discuss like more foreign names and obviously Hapshetsut is not something you really hear anymore. Now, her name translates in uh, Egyptian to uh, foremost of noble ladies, which to be honest, you know, it makes me think of like people who name their daughters like thankful or precious, but you know, all in all, cool name, awesome meaning. We love that for you. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about her family and what's going on with all of that. <laughs> you guys are going to love this. So Hatshepsut was born into like a really exciting period of Egyptian history called the New Kingdom, which is pretty much considered Egypt's golden age, with the kingdom expanding well past its borders. Now her dynasty that she was born into was the 18th dynasty of Egypt, which had been started by her great-grandfather, Amos I, who was the pharaoh to unite Upper and Lower Egypt into one kingdom. Now this had been done a couple times before in Egyptian history, but he was the most recent person to do this, so it was, it was a pretty pretty big deal on uh, Amos's part. Um, Hapshetsut's great-grandfather Amos uh, was also the last native Egyptian pharaoh to have a pyramid built. So pretty big fucking deal. And uh, speaking of pretty big fucking deals, Hapshetsut's dead, Tutmose I. He was a pretty big fucking deal. Now, (laughs) her dad really wore the pants in Egypt. Like, this guy was a fucking powerhouse. In fact, when he first came to the throne, uh, the Nubians, who were, like, an ethnic group, like, just below Egypt, um, I think they're... I think it's, like, the country of Sudan now? Mm, Ethiopia? Yeah, around the... It's under Egypt, basically, is what I'm trying to say. When he first came to the throne, uh, the Nubians ended up rebelling, and Tutmos, he was just like, uh-uh. I ain't having none of that shit. So he marched his army south and totally fucking wrecked the Nubians in combat. And he apparently killed the king of the Nubians himself. So go king, go king. (laughs) Now, after this victory on the way back to the capital... 
Tutmos had the Nubian king's body strapped to the front of his ship to show everyone that he was not to be fucked with. So, you know, this is the kind of role model Hapshetsuit is growing up with, which in my opinion, I don't think you can get a much better example on ruling with an iron fist than strapping a dude to the front of your ship to establish dominance, you know? Also, everything I read about Hapshetsuit and her dad, like, showed that she was a daddy's girl. Like, she admired her father so much. And she was really, really influenced by him. Now, as for uh, Hapshetsuit's mother, there's a lot less on her. But here's what we think we do know about Hapshetsuit's mom, Queen Amos. Now, in the Egyptian royal, in Egyptian royal marriage culture, you have two constants. One, you're always going to marry a close relative, most likely your sister or your brother, which is what happened with Hapshetsuit's parents. Yes, they were probably half-siblings, and yes, that is gross, but they uh, did that to keep the bloodline pure for generations, whether or not that was ethical or not. Anyway, the second constant in Egyptian marriage culture was that the pharaoh was always going to have more people to sleep with than his main wife, like concubines and slightly lesser wives. Now, it made Hapshetsu very important in the family hierarchy since she was the daughter of the pharaoh by his legal wife and queen, but that didn't necessarily mean she was going to be pharaoh because as long as one of her dad's like side pieces had a son it didn't really matter who that son's mother is as long as his father was the pharaoh and that child would be pharaoh over Hapshetsut and it's almost likely that Hapshetsut would be married to a half brother or full brother it depends on if her mother gave her father sons which uh (laughs) her mom didn't Hapshetsut didn't have any full brothers Uh, But more on the incestuous marriage later. Now, uh, before we move on, let's talk a bit about her upbringing and what that might have looked like. Now, as I've already said, we don't know much about Hapshetsu personally. uh, So why am I bothering to dive into her education when we know nothing about it? Well, dear, dear listener. Just wait. Now, we might not have a lot of records of her childhood, but there's tons of evidence to show how girls of her class would have been educated at the time. So based on context clues, we can get to the bottom of how she ended up becoming so smart and calculating and good at ruling. Now, I was actually surprised to find that education for royal Egyptian women actually wasn't fucking terrible like I expected. In fact, it was on par with uh, men, since so many Egyptian pharaohs ended up coming to the throne very young because Egyptian pharaohs were dying young because of the consequences of incest. And uh, usually these pharaohs' mothers needed to be capable enough to act as regents for their baby boys. Now, as a result, royal Egyptian women were just as politically savvy as men, and they were educated to the same degree. Now, Hapshetsut, as the possible mother of a future heir and maybe a regent one day, she would have needed to know about math, reading, writing, politics, and about the other lands they ruled, plus their friends and enemies. She also would have learned some of the more feminine stuff in Egyptian culture, like dancing, weaving, weaving was a big thing with them, as well as music. But still, all in all, she was pretty lucky at this time because many royal women weren't always afforded that kind of education, especially if they were like lower in the family tree, like a less important princess. So for her education to be valued like this, it definitely, almost definitely made her into the person that, you know, uh, she would become. Now, uh, getting on to what she actually looked like. 
Um, her appearance is kind of tough to figure out since we don't have any contemporary descriptions of her. Uh, we, of course, have statues that were made during her, before her reign and uh, during her reign. Uh, still, those are pretty unhelpful since they're basically your ancient version of Photoshop and only show Hapshet suit as she wanted to be seen and not uh, what she would have actually actually looked like and during her reign a lot of her statues make her look quite manly so you'd think oh Aiden you're at a loss on this one you can't talk about what she looked like but that's not true now luckily for me thanks to the power of science um there was a body discovered I can't I can't remember the year but they think it might be Hatshetsut and they have done a lot of tests on it so for like um for argument's sake, we're going to pretend that this body is actually Hapshetsu, even though we don't have entire proof that it is. Anyway, and due to the tests that these scientists have done on the body that they think is Hapshetsu, we actually have a pretty good picture of what she might have looked like and even the state of her health at the end of her life. Now, unfortunately, uh, she was no Cleopatra. Actually, in fact, Cleopatra was no Cleopatra as we've discussed in her own episode. But the point I'm trying to make is Hepshetsu probably wasn't, like, really cute for most of her life. Uh, she was probably overweight, and her uh, dark hair was uh, rather thin. It was probably balding, uh, especially in the front for most of her life, which she probably covered up with wigs, so, like, probably no one would have known. But, you know, she was probably balding. Also, uh, she seemed to be a fan of black and red nail polish, which is, like which was, like, deposited on the body that they found that they think is her, which is, like, super hardcore goth, and I love that for her. I kind of want to uh, paint my nails black and red. I mean, my nails are black right now, but not red. I don't think I... I wonder if I have any red nail polish. Sorry, sidetracked. Um, <laughs> all in all, she she wasn't cute, but to be fair, she wasn't red, and to be honest, you know, who cares what you look like when you're a badass bitch like Hapshetsuit, so mic drop, you know? Who really cares? <laughs> Okay, guys, it's time to get in the juicy stuff. I hope you're ready. Now, even though Hapshetsut was pretty ambitious as she got older, uh, when she was a little kid, she probably didn't really think of that she would probably become Pharaoh one day because she didn't really have any reasonable path to being Pharaoh independently since um, she had two older brothers uh, from some of her dad's other side pieces, and that was actually before he became Pharaoh, so they were quite a lot older than her. And then her uh, dad's other wife had a son, also named Tatmos, who was two years younger than her. Now, uh, luckily, I guess, not really, <laughs> I mean, it's sad when siblings die, at uh, some point, Hapshetsut's two older brothers died, died and Hapshetsut and her younger brother, Tatmos, uh, were pretty much the only ones left, although I do believe she had a younger sister named Nefrubiti. I, th I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, but that's how that's definitely how it's spelled. And they were pretty much all that were left. So from this point on, it was expected that Hapshetsut would marry her younger brother, Tutmos, when she became old enough. Now, Hapshetsut's father died in 1493 BC when she was 12, at which point she and her brother, who was like 10 at the time, by the way, uh, got married and they became the new rulers of Egypt before they were even teenagers, which is bonkers because I at 20 don't know how my taxes work. <laughs> And here are these, you know, two elementary age children running a country, you know, this, this just like harkens back to the Cleopatra Selene episode when her and her twin brother were like technically in charge of a country for like, like a week. <laughs> um, now, we don't know much about Hapshetsu's time as Tatmos's wife and queen. Um, 
In fact, it's actually unclear how long little, little Tutmos Jr. was even Pharaoh, but I'll try I'll try my best to uh, piece it together for you guys. Now, it's pretty likely that Tutmos Jr. wasn't Pharaoh for longer than like 10 or 15 years. Like I'd give him like 12 years maybe. And all in all, his reign was pretty standard for a pharaoh. It wasn't amazingly awesome or anything, but I, I, I still think he did a good job, such as, you know, he, he defeated some minor Nubian uprisings at the start of his reign, which, you know, it was pretty standard. The Nubians always like to rise up every time the pharaohs transferred power. But other than that, he seemed to have reigned pretty peacefully for, you know, however long he was in power. Uh, meanwhile, he was uh, making babies with his side pieces and, of course, his wife's sister, Hapshetsut. Now, she and Tutmos Jr. had one child together, a daughter named Nefaru, who was uh, probably born when Hapshetsut was in early teens, so probably like 14, 15, which is, ew. Um, but in good news, uh, Nefaru was Hapshetsut's, like, fucking pride and joy. Like, she was so in love with her little girl. And she made sure she was well taken care of and had, like, the best of everything. Like, it, it was actually kind of, like, touching to, like, read all the all this stuff about, like, how much Hapshetsut loved her daughter. Because, like, you, you don't really, you don't really hear that in, like, historical accounts. Like, these, like, historical figures, like, showing so much, like, unconditional love to their children, especially such an ancient person like Hapshetsut. Um, now, little baby Nephi was, like, adored not only by her mother, but by her tutors, and was a very beloved princess by absolutely everyone, including her parents. But she wasn't a son. Uh, instead, a minor wife of Tutmos gave him the son he needed. Uh, this kid was also named Tutmos. God, it's like the Ptolemies all over again. You remember when in the Cleopatra episode we had like four Ptolemies? Was it three or four Ptolemies? Anyway, there was a lot of them. And then we killed all of them, but then they all came back. Now we're, we're back at it again with the Tutmoses. I just wish these people would be original. Like... Anyway, shortly after uh, Tutmos Jr. had Tutmos Jr. Jr., his desired sudden heir, he ended up dying. Now, little baby Tutmos was technically pharaoh, and Hatshetsut as his stepmother slash aunt's cousin, yeah, was supposed to act as his regent, which, as I've said, pretty standard practice for the time, even though uh, Tutmos Jr. Jr. wasn't her biological son. Now, um, for the about the first seven years acting as her stepson's regent, she played her part as like like the dainty little Egyptian regent, like to perfection. Like she was so good at good at it. But as her little stepson grew, she realized, hey, you know, I kind of like this whole ruling thing. So uh, she decided to take the crown over for herself. And BTW, she was barely thirty yet, so good for her. Now, Hapshetsut knew her position would be precarious as a female pharaoh, so she got to work on securing herself right away. Now, don't worry, this isn't a story where she ends up murdering little Tutmos Jr. Jr. Um, in fact, it seemed like it was a pretty easy uh, to transfer power from like a seven-year-old to a woman who was almost in her 30s. Now, um, little Tutmos Jr. Jr. <laughs> became a prince again, and was pretty much none the wiser about his fall from grace until, like, much later in his life. But, you know, we'll 
we'll get into uh, how he feels about having his turn technically taken away from him. Now, as of now, Hapshetsu needs to start establishing some motherfucking dominance like the cool person she is. I'm sorry, I burped. <laughs> um, Hapshetsu knew that her society was an incredibly male-dominated space. And um, secondly, her country had only really had one female pharaoh before her, so she had to play it smart. And her tactics were genius. She didn't label herself as queen. In fact, she labeled herself as a king. She would often dress in the male clothes of the pharaoh with a headdress and a beard, and she made pretty much every depiction of her as a pharaoh with a male body over a female body. She she essentially kept her power secure by presenting as male, even though it was, like, no secret that she was a woman. Like, people knew that she was a lady. Like, she wasn't hiding it. She just, like, dressed in men's clothing and sometimes referred to herself in decrees with male pronouns, but she also used female pronouns. Now, by displaying a masculine persona, she was essentially keeping her power safe from someone who would say a woman weren't fit to rule because technically a woman wasn't ruling. Also, uh, luckily, she had a lot of powerful men at court who helped keep her position secure from people who might doubt her. Now, Hapshatsut was an altogether different pharaoh than her father and her brother-husband and really any of the men that had come before her because she was not the kind of person to make great big conquests and lead armies into battle like her brother-husband, father, grandfather, great-grandfather. Like she, She just wasn't the kind of person to like unnecessarily create war. Now, rather than sending soldiers to war, she sent them on what became her proudest venture, a training expedition to the fabled land of Punt along the southern shore of the Red Sea, where, as I've read, no Egyptian had been for 500 years. Now, as shown on the walls of Hatshepsut's mortuary temple, which is this really fucking cool complex, like right near the Valley of the Kings. If you guys ever go to Egypt, you got to visit it. I really want to visit it because it looks so cool. Now, her expedition returned with gold ivory, uh, live myrrh trees, which I don't know why that's important, but myrrh must have been important then, um, a whole bunch of exotic animals, including apes, panthers, and giraffes, and a whole bunch of other, like, exotic things. Now, the successful campaign significantly enhanced her reputation and popularity because, you know, everyone loves money, and she brought them money, and she made them significantly richer by doing this trading expedition, so go have Shatsuit, go have Shatsuit. Also, uh, Hepshetsuit's building projects, I'd say, were probably some of the most ambitious of her time, and like maybe ever. She had the one of the tallest obelisks in the world built, which, by the way, is still fucking standing to this day. And as I uh, believe, it's one of the tallest obelisks still standing today, other than I think like the Washington Monument in DC, which is pretty cool. However, her best work was her mortuary temple. Uh, she had built so people could essentially like make like a like a cult based around her like I know cult sounds bad obviously cult is like a quite negative word these days but back then cult just generally meant like religion like they weren't um eh. actually I can't say they probably weren't sacrificing people they might have been sacrificing people I don't I don't really know but they had a lot of Egypt had a lot of death cults like surrounded around certain pharaohs and she she wanted to do like, a, a similar thing. And, and like I said, this temple is really beautiful, and I, I'd love to visit it one of these days. Now, Hapshetsu was such a good and prolific builder during her time that other kings after her tried to take credit for some of the buildings that she designed because of how cool they were. Like, you've 
you, you know, they, they say like the best form of flattery, flattery is imitation. Is, is that the saying? Imi- no, sorry. Imitation is the best fl- form of flattery. So like, I, I feel like it says a lot about like how cool she was if like, uh, like um, other pharaohs after her were taking credit for her um, buildings. So I think, I think that says a lot uh, about her as a, as a person, definitely. Okay, so before we uh, slowly crawl to the end of Hatshepsut's life and uh, time as pharaoh, let's actually talk about the court life during Hatshepsut's reign, because I actually think it's really interesting. Now, when Hatshepsut became like the sole pharaoh, she never ended up remarrying, so there was kind of a gap in Egyptian court with the queen rule, because obviously Hatshepsut couldn't be both king and queen, like that was a thing, wasn't a thing. So in um, Hatshepsut's place as queen, her daughter Nefaru filled this gap. And by the way, Nefaru, incredibly influential during her mother's reign. She acted as a close advisor and she did ritual ceremonies as part of being queen. And like people listened to her and people liked her. So, you know, like go mother daughter teamwork. We love this. Now, Hatshepsut exercised her power in Egypt for well over 22 years, which is, by the way, one of the longest reigning female pharaohs in Egyptian history. Probably. Uh, would have been beaten by Cleopatra if Cleopatra hadn't unalived herself. But, <laughs> you know, go suit. And for the most part, it was pretty peaceful and prosperous, which, you know, a lot of ancient rulers at the time couldn't say about the reigns. Now, suit is usually considered a highlight of the famous 18th dynasty pharaohs, but in this case, even gods have to die. Now, suit died in 1458 BC at the age of 50, which for the time was decently old. Now, after Hatshepsut died, her stepson, Tutmos Jr. Jr., finally got the throne to himself while he had been waiting for the last 20 years. Um, And during that time, he had been dutifully studying how to be a good king, so he hadn't had a bad childhood uh, under Hatshepsut. Like, I I think we get this, like, idea of Hatshepsut that she, she stole the throne from her poor baby stepson, and he hated her for it. But, like, I was, like, looking at, like, how little, little Tutmus Jr. Jr. was treated while Hatshepsut was alive, and she, 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 like, didn't lock him up, like, when she, when she took the throne. Like, she treated him as if that was her son. He got the best education. He did his military training. He was treated like any other Egyptian prince. And, you know, we're acting like she treated him so bad and, and like, stole his throne. But, like, reasonably, if you had the choice of someone running a country between a capable, like, 25-year-old adult woman and, like, a two-year-old, who the fuck would you have picked? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't think we should really, like bash Hatshepsut for uh, taking the throne from Tutmos Jr. Jr. because he was a fucking little kid and she could exercise better power than him. Maybe realistically she should have given it up when he became of age, but she was doing such a good job. Why would she give it up? Anyway, now when Tutmos Jr. Jr. finally got the uh, throne to himself, um, Basically, at the end of his reign, he chose to try and erase Hatshepsut from history. He had a lot of her building projects destroyed and had her removed from Egyptian king lists. He literally tried to wipe her from the face of the earth. But why would he do that? As as I've just explained, he probably had a decent childhood. 
uh, under her. Now, the running theory is that he had been waiting for the past 20 years to get revenge on Hapshetsu for stealing his throne and him destroying everything. And people think this is why he tried to erase her. But like I said, that, that, that doesn't make sense. One, because he had pretty decent childhood under her and also like why wait so long like a bit before it was assumed that he did this at the start of his reign but from what i read it seems that he started doing some uh, erasing when he was dying um he it, it j- just doesn't make a lot of sense i mean personally now was he probably pissed that hapshat suited sat on his throne for 20 years and called the shots maybe I don't know. I, he didn't keep a fucking diary. I have no idea. But it seems like Hapshetsuit treated him well his whole life. So I don't think he was trying to get back at her. But I'm also not exactly sure why he did it. Maybe he was worried that her very successful and powerful reign would set a dangerous precedent where Egypt would be more open to female rulership. And obviously that could be an issue if a uh, pharaoh had a lot of daughters and say like one son. Someone could support that daughter's claim. Um... Now, he could have been worried about his son down the line. Uh, Tutmos Jr. Jr. had a son. Don't worry, he didn't name him Tutmos. So, um, <laughs> Tutmos Jr. Jr. maybe erased Hapshetsuit to protect the line of pharaohs from something like this happening in the future. Now, while that's a particularly shitty reason, it also makes sense as to why he literally scrubbed her from history. But obviously, he uh, didn't do it permanently because we're talking about her today. Now, in 1903, Howard Carter, who would eventually go on to discover the tomb of Tutankhamun, who uh, was actually Tutmos Jr. Jr.'s like great-great-grandson or something. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't looked at the family tree in a while. Anyway, um, they found a night unidentified female mummy who scientists think may be Hapshetsut and that and uh, they think she may have died from an ointment that gave her bone cancer. <laughs> also, thanks to other archaeological discoveries, uh, we have found much more about Hapshetsut's reign as pharaoh than uh, maybe Tutmos or his uh, sorry, Tutmos Jr. Jr. and his son Emotep would have liked. Uh, as for Hapshetsut's daughter Nefaru, we don't really know all too much about what happened to her after her mother died. Now, for a while, it was thought that she may have outlived her mother and was like, had maybe married Tutmos Jr. Jr. and was the uh, mother of his oldest son. Uh, but there's really no evidence to show that he ended up marrying her. Um, I feel like they would have written that shit down. <laughs> um, so the general theory these days is that she probably died just a little before her mother did. She doesn't really show up on records after her mother died. So I assume that she must have died, which is really sad because, as I said, Hapshetsuit was like literally in love with her daughter. Like she loved her so much. And like I can't imagine how hard it must have been for her to lose Nefaru if Nefaru died first. All right, uh, let's get into legacy. Now, Hapshetsuit has got such a ridiculously big legacy. Like, it's ridiculous. It's so hard to cover. She was likely Egypt's first female pharaoh, and not only did she rule, she ruled like a fucking boss by stabilizing her country and making it cultured and prop prosperous not to mention literally building so much stuff like she was like bricks on bricks on bricks on bricks uh she was also such a good pharaoh uh that men after her took credit for uh what she did because as i said before imitation is the best form of flattery (laughs) now thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode i will see you in two weeks uh the next episode will be the last episode of this season i've had to uh, cut the season short because um, I can't record at 
home over Christmas, but um, after the next episode, uh, we'll probably start uh, season four in the new year. I hope you guys are excited for um, the last episode of the season and the upcoming season. I love you guys. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.